Good evening. Our reading today is from Habakkuk chapter 3, which you'll find on page 942 of the Church Bibles. But before I pray, let's just pray that uh, the Lord will speak to us clearly in our own situations through his word this evening, and as David explains it all to us later on. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 3, page 942. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress. The dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still, stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as you look at that passage, you can see, can't you, that Habakkuk, uh, the prophet, has finished... Uh, his book in a very, very different place from where he began, different frame of mind. It began at the very beginning of that book uh, in a, a state of, of utter distress at the Judah of his day. Uh, it was woeful, 
as he looked at it. In language that reminds us of Noah and the days before the flood, he describes uh, Judah as a place filled with violence and with wickedness. The law was paralyzed, such was the corruption in the land, that there was no hope of justice. But just look at how he finishes in this psalm. The situation has not changed. Things are grim, but his tail is up in the air. He finishes by uttering one of the most powerful and heart-stopping statements of faith that I think we'll find anywhere in the Bible. It's worth just remembering again. Though the tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Whenever I read that again, as I did this week, my heart just leapt within me. I want to love God like that. I want to be able to delight God's heart by having a faith like that in the midst of all the troubles and all the difficulties that I face. How does he get there? How did Habakkuk come from that place where he began to get to this glorious place at the end? Would you like that for yourself? I think we all would. Well, let's pray and ask that God would just reveal himself to us as we look through this passage. Lord, you've done something remarkable in Habakkuk's life here in the course of uh, this transaction with you, this discussion, this meditation on you and upon your word. His heart is transformed, Lord. And we, your people, we need that constantly. We need this transaction with you and that revelation of you through your word by your spirit that ignites our hearts to faith and in trust in you. And maybe as we come tonight, Lord, uh, we need that more than ever. Uh, so Father, we just pray that as we look at your word, that you will switch on our minds and our hearts now by the power of your spirit, that we may understand what you said through the prophet Habakkuk to us today, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we look back, uh, maybe just take a, a trot through where we've been on this journey with Habakkuk. And we discovered right at the beginning that his biggest problem had been God's apparent inaction in the face of all the evil that he saw happening in Judah in his day. And as uh, Margaret reminded us, he was calling out to the Lord, how long must I call for help? But you, you don't listen. He asked at the beginning in chapter one. Do you know, there is no doubt in Habakkuk's mind about the existence of God, because he wouldn't be praying to him otherwise, nor in the righteousness of God, because he wouldn't be angry or upset with him otherwise. Habakkuk's problem is the kind of problem that really only people who have faith in God have. It's a problem that people have who believe in a just God. It's a problem that you and I can have. In Habakkuk's words, why do you make me look at injustice? Why are you looking at wrongdoing? And maybe as you thought about the world this week, or the church this week, or things happening in your own life this week, you find yourself asking God that question. God, why are you making me look at these things? Lord, why are you 
just looking at these things. God, I know you're good. I know you're real, you're saying. But why are you making me face this? Well, Habakkuk, you remember, didn't have long to wait for God's response, but it wasn't one he was prepared for. God was not going to tolerate. He was not going to tolerate the injustice in his people. He would save, but he would do it through judgment. He would rouse the feared Babylonian empire to bring judgment on tiny Judah. And Habakkuk was stunned. Perhaps it was later when the judgment actually came to pass in Judah and they experienced the harsh rule of the Babylonian invaders that he cried out again to God. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? The experience of God's cure was actually worse than the disease in his eyes. The Babylonians were worse than what had gone before. The wicked are swallowing up God's people. How could God tolerate that? It's like, do you remember when you were a child and you came down in the morning and you didn't want to go to school and uh, you just were dreading the class and the teacher and the fact that you hadn't done your homework the night before and you knew what was going to happen. Ray knows this well. And your mum says to you, as mine often did, oh, something wrong with you. I think you need the cod liver oil. <laughs> it had a miraculous effect, didn't it? No matter how bad school was, cod liver oil was worse. Well, this, this is really worse. They're swallowing up God's people. And again, God speaks to the prophet. He says, wait, Habakkuk, wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God wasn't indifferent to every, everything the Babylonians were doing to his people. It wasn't that he didn't care. And in the rest of chapter 2, God tells the prophet exactly what he thinks of Babylon. And he describes the judgment of the wicked and the deliverance that he'll bring uh, to those who are faithful. And Habakkuk's response to all of this revelation from God uh, is, is fed out now in chapter 3 in a prayer and in the form of a psalm to God. So whenever you or I are struggling with injustice in this world, in our own lives, in the things that we see happening around us, when out of the depths of despair we find ourselves crying out to the Lord, how long, Lord? Here are words of encouragement for us from the lips of someone who has been there and has been comforted. Habakkuk prays in response to God's word and he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk prays to God. He says, having heard of his fame. In other words, he's reminded of all that he's learned about God's dealings with his people from the scriptures. The Old Testament voices proclaim to Habakkuk God's fame, his character, the things that he has been told from his childhood now come into his mind. And those inspire him with a fear and with an awe of God. And he calls out to God to act again in his days in those same ways. To come with judgment, but also with mercy 
on God's people. Do it again, Lord. Please, Lord, do it again. Turn things the right way up. And as he prays, he has what you could call it a vision of God. And he sees the book of Exodus unfolding before his eyes, or rather, he sees the God of the book of Exodus unfolding before his eyes. He thinks back to the old stories of God, and he sees those old stories in a new light. Look at what he says. And as you do, just try to imagine the scene that he's painting that he himself is seeing of God. He writes, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. What happens in these next verses really is very powerful. Habakkuk is reading, if you like, the, the account that we find in the book of Exodus. But he doesn't relate it verbatim. Instead, he witnesses it almost in his mind's eye. And that eye is steadfastly thinking about God's actions in the book of Exodus. He's thinking about the way that God came in awesome power and in judgment on the world in Moses' day. Teman and Mount Paran were to the south of Israel, the country through which the people of Israel passed in the Exodus by God leading him in the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And Habakkuk recalls, plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. It's a reference, isn't it, to the plagues visited on Egypt, which forced the Egyptians to let God's people go. God is a God who in judgment brings plagues on his enemies. But there's more. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. In his mind's eye, he sees the terror that God's judgments brought on Egypt and to the nations living in the south as God swept up his people toward the promised land. The nations were in anguish, he is saying, terrified by what the Lord did. And not only are the nations terrified before God, the whole of creation convulses before the terror of Yahweh, its maker, when he comes in judgment to deliver his people. And so Habakkuk asks, let me get a quick drink. And so Habakkuk asks the Lord, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the seas? When you rode in your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waters high. God's power displayed in nature during the Exodus was immense. The rivers, the Jordan, the Nile, and the Red Sea, 
turned to blood and were piled up at the presence of the Lord. The mountains shook and trembled. The earth quaked when he gave his law to his people. Habakkuk recalls, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spears. Perhaps he's thinking there of Joshua chapter 10. When Joshua went with Israel to fight the five kings of the Amorites, and we read of that battle, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. God was fighting for Israel, Joshua wrote. And in his psalm, Habakkuk makes that same point. God was fighting a warrior for Israel. In wrath you strode throughout the earth. In anger you threshed the nations. Look what happened when God marched in the ark round Jericho. Look at the terror that he unfolded on the land of Canaan. And as Habakkuk reflects on the awesome power of God's judgment in the Exodus, he makes a mental leap to his own day. He writes, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one, literally the Messiah, God's anointed one. Habakkuk realizes he's not just looking here at ancient history, something that happened once many, many years ago in the time of Moses. No, this is a pattern. This is something that God will do again and again. One commentator puts it like this. He is seeing there a divinely established pattern that links the fortunes of the people of God with those of their leader. He expects that pattern to be repeated in his own day, and it's ultimately realized in the messianic deliverance achieved by Christ. What God did in the days of Moses delivering Israel from Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt is a pattern that Habakkuk sees repeated uh, uh, again and again. Just as God delivered his people in the days of Moses, he will deliver his people in Habakkuk's day, and ultimately, he will deliver his people forever uh, in uh, Christ. He writes, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waves. By looking back at the display of God's awesome power in Exodus, Habakkuk is encouraged to see what divine intervention would actually look like in his own day. This fearsome, powerful God would act again. So he prays, Lord, do it again. Do it again. In my own time, do it again. Though it linger, God says, it will surely come. God's spirit, as, as Habakkuk meditates in the scriptures, brings it to life for him. It's as though he sees it all just happening in front of his eyes. It's as though Habakkuk is transported back to the Exodus and he's able to see God in all his power and glory 
as he walks his people into the promised land. And two things really stand out. The frightful judgment of God that those events describe. He sees God's awesome power over everything in nature and in the destruction of his enemies. No one can stand against him. And he also sees a pattern of divine behavior. God will deliver his anointed one. It might linger, but it will not delay. So even though Habakkuk has to look at evil going on in his own day, he sees the land stripped bare. There's no food for them to eat. The livestock have all been taken. Even so, he is now absolutely confident in his heart that the God who acted then in Moses' day will act again. And so he confesses, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. He knows where this is going. He knows what God is like. He knows God's awesome power and righteousness. And that gives him hope in his own day, despite all the calamities that he's living through in the present, brought by the Babylonians. Well, God did act again in response to Habakkuk's prayer. And you can go tomorrow morning down to the British Museum, and there on the second floor, uh, you will see with your own eyes how God's judgment came on Babylon. There's a small cylinder up there. It looks like a pill. It's known as the Cyrus Cylinder. It's about a foot long. And what it describes is the fall of Babylon to Cyrus the Great. It records also his revolutionary attitude to governing the state. It describes his willingness to repatriate peoples who have been carried off into exile by Babylon to their homelands. Something that the Bible says and shows happened to Israel. Habakkuk's prayer was answered. God did come and rescue his people and brought judgment in Babylon. Even though the fig tree did not bud in his own day, it did bud in God's day. You know, you and I have even more reason for faith today in the face of evil in our own day than Habakkuk did in his. We can see uh, that he did come and answer uh, Habakkuk's prayer uh, as he'd done in Exodus, delivering his people. But today we also know that he's come in Christ. Today we know of the coming of God into the world in the person of Jesus, who walked in the waters, who made demons tremble and flee, he showed mercy and grace to the broken. We see his awesome power displayed in weakness on the cross, his victory over sin and death. We see him shatter death itself, the final enemy, through his resurrection. And we wait now for his coming in glory. God came into the world in the days of Exodus almost like a meteor strike. It was that powerful, shattering mountains, causing tidal waves, splitting the earth, 
No one was able to stand against him. Even the sun stood still. But when Christ returns, he will rend the heavens themselves apart. It will be a display of power such as never been seen since creation. And as we dwell on that and think about that, doesn't it make our hearts sore within us as we look at the world around us today? Doesn't God impart strength to our hearts as we think about him and his awesome power and his coming again in glory? Doesn't it make our feet secure like the feet of a deer on a rocky cliffside, knowing that no matter how dangerous the world around us is, we can look to the one who has such power and such strength and such commitment to deliver. The sovereign Lord is my strength, not figs, not grapes, not the absence of trouble in my life, but the sovereign Lord alone. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights, those perilous heights in which we tread are places of safety for us because we know our God. We're in his keeping. And you know, Habakkuk as a book is a model for us. When we're overcome by the wickedness and the evil that we see in this world, what do we do? We're apt to be overwhelmed by the world, overwhelmed by trouble. So easy to despair or to complain or to give up or to turn to things like TV, drink, or comforts of some sort, you name your poison, uh, we can feel just totally overwhelmed and helpless. But in the midst, in the midst of that, Habakkuk himself turns to God, and he determines to transact with God really powerfully, to bring his complaints to God, not to hide them, not to cover them up, not to, to try and uh, dampen them down. He brings them to God. He waits for the living God to answer. He reminds himself of God's fame in the scriptures and he allows those scriptures to speak to him. He looks to God and what he knows of God for refreshment. And as he does all of this, the living God speaks through his word into his heart and changes Habakkuk's heart. Didn't change the circumstances immediately, but he did change the man. Sheep pens were still empty, but Habakkuk was no longer in despair. What are you discovering that for yourself in the midst of, of life's struggles, that real refreshment in all of these comes uh, through that transacting of things with God, through really coming to him and speaking with him, and allowing his fame to transform your heart and your way of thinking and to strengthen your feet so that in the midst of all the troubles that life brings, that you can say, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet uh, to stand firmly on the precipice. Maybe that's a good question uh, for afterwards as we're having our coffee is, is just to ask someone else how, how transacting with God this week has helped them in difficulties. How transacting with God has helped them in difficulties? And if the answer is, well, I don't know, well, then you know where to go. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Lord, as uh, we look at this uh, passage uh, again, we're, we're almost taught how to use Scripture, in a sense, to, to really meditate on the revelation uh, of yourself that you give in your Word. Lord, it is your Spirit who speaks through your Word into our hearts. When we come prayerfully uh, before you, Lord, even the, uh, even the smallest portion of Scripture can work miracles inside us, uh, because this is a, a living Word. This is your word. And Father, as Habakkuk transacted with you, as he prayed to you and laid his problems before you, um, as you revealed yourself to him in your word, it came alive for him, Lord. Uh, He not only uh, heard of your fame, it became a living reality in his life as he looked at the glorious God, the the terrifying God revealed in Exodus a God who acts mercifully for his anointed one, his chosen one. Father, we pray that that you will bring your word to life steadily for us, that as we open it, as we get about the serious business of transacting with you and the problems that we have in life, that we will discover this strengthening again and again, that we may boast not in the ease of life around us, but in the God who meets us and delivers us in the midst of its difficulties. In your name we pray. Amen.